Ladies and gentlemen, the show starts in three, two, one. Tonight on the DDM Comics Radio Program. The latest news from the comic book industry, pull list reviews, and our picks from the long box. Don't forget our main feature. It is sure to have you huddle around your radio set all night. Stay tuned. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. I'm sorry, this is the fun beat. The humdrum beat back there. Please, no gang signs. No, throw it up, I'm kidding. Told you that. Look, kid. You and I are going to be good friends. You just don't know it yet. Hello and welcome, comic book fans, to the third episode of the DDM Comics radio program. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us as you blindly run through traffic, hunting Pokemon. Godspeed. <laughs> My name is Danny, hailing from lovely Northern California, and with me as always, from the mean streets of San Francisco's Chinatown, captain of the Pork Chop Express, <laughs> and a man who always pays his dues with a check via mail, Mr. D. Mr. D, how is it going this evening, and are you ready to talk about some comic books? Uh, yeah, it's going great. Um, looking forward to talking about all the books we've been reading recently. The two-week vacation that I took kind of threw us off, I think, but I think we're back in the sink of how this is supposed to work, and I'm looking forward to tonight's show. How's things on your end? I would say they're going pretty well. Looking forward to it myself. We've done quite a bit of prep. Uh, we Last time on the show, we said we were going to talk about all of the four different ages of comics. In trying to tackle that, we realized it was just too big and that we needed to break it up. So today, we're going to talk about some news, uh, and then we're going to take quite a bit of time to talk about a lot of the books we've been reading, because there's been a lot to cover over the time that we've not done a show. So we'd like to spend some more time talking about that. Uh, We'll talk about books that we've both read, and then we'll take turns talking about books that the other has not. And that should cover some pretty interesting stuff. And then after that, we are going to dive into the golden age of comics. Did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. Oh, after the golden age of comics, we should finish off with a pull from the long box. Oh, that's right. And the pull from the long box. All right, so let's talk about some news. Now it is time for the news. Brought to you by. You know, I was thinking about who the news should be brought to us by today. And do you remember those old school beer ads where they would talk about like the real American hero or whatever? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. What beer was that for? Like Budweiser or something? Yeah, definitely one of the domestic like Budweiser, <laughs> Coors, something like that. Right. So I got to thinking like, who are the unsung heroes of like? the superhero world and i was thinking like the dry cleaner who has to clean all of those costumes <laughs> and like knows what like robin's ball sweat smells like and stuff like that it's probably like some 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 low profile immigrant who like knows all these secrets but is all hush hush about it wow yeah i was just yeah yeah i think you might be onto something with that <laughs> So that is who the news is brought to you by. We salute you, superhero dry cleaner man who knows 
Robin's balls went. Anyway, uh, on to some on, on to some news. Uh, so we had Batman versus Superman, and the next DC movie property is going to be the Justice League, and they've apparently decided who the villain's going to be. Oh. And it's someone called Steppenwolf. And I know the band. I don't so much know the villain. Uh. Uh, and, and looking at it a little bit, um, he's one of the new gods and part of the Apocalypse Army. And he apparently leads some raids into Earth at some point and has some fights with people. But I think he's pretty unknown, mostly. He has like this giant electric axe. I think they probably could have chosen someone else. Yeah. Um, considering DC doesn't have a solid movie foundation like Marvel does, they really kind of have to be a little more picky at this point about what characters they're using in films in order to draw you know, additional fans. Yeah, maybe they're just wanting to expose people as well. But sure. then I got to then I got to thinking about you know in Marvel it's really easy to identify the villains sure because they f- they focus on them a lot right but in the DC universe it's like ninety nine percent about the heroes like all the time okay. so when I even tried to think of a villain that they could do I just couldn't really come up with anything consistent hmm. so Steppenwolf okay and he looks like a. Do you remember that, I think it was, uh, who's that movie maker, the Spanish guy, Del Toro? He made that movie with the guy who has, like, eyeballs in his hands? Oh, yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. He reminds me of that character when I see some of these, like, movie stills or whatever. Oh, interesting. So, kind of freaky looking. Maybe it'll work out. Sure. Uh, the next thing is the Harvey Awards. And you might know a little more about it. Can you just tell us what they are? The Harvey Awards are awards given to people within the comic industry every year. They're named after... I'm trying to think of what the dude's first name is. But his last name is probably Harvey. (laughs) Yeah, it's... No, his first name is Harvey. Harvey Kurtzman. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. I think that's what it says here, yeah. Yeah, it. their whole tagline is honoring excellence in the comic book industry. And I was listening to a show a couple of days ago where they went through like this whole list. We're not doing that. Uh, but um, a, a lot of apparently this is like one of the more prestigious awards in the comic book world. Yeah, I think it's the successor to the Kirby Awards kirby awards which were discontinued sometime in the late 80s and i think it was yeah it was similar okay i like i like looking at this list because it's got a lot of names i don't really i don't i'm not a name guy so i don't really recognize them but there's a lot of issues here uh that i've certainly heard of like southern bastards and saga and stuff like that but the guys i was listening to the other day they were like super happy that some of these people like were on here like they knew them personally oh wow so um i don't know when all that voting stops or when we'll know who wins but good luck to all those fantastic creators definitely um let's see here 
Uh, Fathom Events is showing The Killing Joke on a shitload more theaters. 300. Yeah. And if you didn't know, the what? can you just tell us what The Killing Joke is, for those who don't know? Yeah, it's a graphic novel written by Alan Moore, is it? And it's a Joker origin story, one of the classic Batman stories that... No, it was published in like the late 80s, right? Or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know did off the co- top of my... Did it, co- did it come out as a floppy or a book? I believe it came out as a book, but I'm not 100% sure. I remember like it had like an insane print run. Like when I went to like, if you look at the originals, like there's like five different printings and all the colors have changed and stuff. Oh, wow. So, but it's a really cool story. I only read it probably like five months ago for the first time. My wife got it for me for Christmas and it's great. Yeah. It's one of the, the, really the quintessential Batman stories that when somebody says, what should I read for Batman? It's like, you should definitely read The Killing Joke. Yeah, they recommend that, and then, like, The Dark Knight Returns. Uh-huh. Also, Arkham Asylum is a pretty good one. I still haven't got a hold of that. The art in the uh, Arkham Asylum book, it's all, like, painty, right? Yeah, and kind of scratchy, as I recall. Did, did you ever read the old-school Sandmans? Um, like, with, by Neil Gaiman? They're kind of in the same style. Like... When I was probably 10 years old when they came out, but... Okay. I'm not... I was never a devout Sandman fan. Right. It was all really confusing, reading that shit. There's a lot to it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, The Killing Joke, they're making a movie, and it's rated R. And the Fathom of... And it's like a straight-to-Blu-ray thing. And the Fathom Events guys are showing it in the theater... One time, right? It's only once. No, twice. I believe oh. it's 7 and 11 or 7 and 10. Oh, so they're showing it twice on the same day. Correct. Okay. But there's no other days they're going to show it. No, that's correct. Okay. Are you going to try to go see it? I am going to try to go see it. My wife wants to go see it, but even though she doesn't know anything about it, I think she just wants to get out and go to the movies. Nice. When's the last time you went to the movies? Uh, Gosh. Oh, we saw Hail Caesar from the Coen brothers when okay. my mom was visiting, and it was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was that, that, that wasn't like a comedy, right? No, it was a comedy. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I already bought my ticket, so I'm good to go. Nice. And uh, the date on that, when is that? I got it here. It is on Monday, the 25th of July. Now you just need a Coke and some Twizzlers. You'll be good to go. Oh, dude, I love Twizzlers. Uh, that's my that's that's my go-to movie snack. Dude, they're disgusting. It tastes like wax. I mean, no. They're all gone by the time the previews are over, but it's delicious. I like Red Vines myself. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. I thought I was. I thought you meant red vines. No, they don't I sell twi- they, they don't sell Twizzlers at the theater. Those do taste like shit. You're right. Well, a lot of the theaters up here they sell them. All the theaters I used to go to had them, but yeah, Twizzlers taste like fucking ass. They <laughs> they suck because they come in a sheet. Yeah, and they're all waxy like yeah. a candle. You can't you can't use it as a straw. No, definitely. I I hella use red vines as a straw. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> As you should. Definitely. Uh, oh, okay, so I think I know what the next piece of news is. Sure. And that's the uh, <clears throat> Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China crossover series that um, Boom Studios is going to put out later this year, which I'm super is excited it, for. Is it L.A. or New York? Uh, New York. I'm sorry. Did I say L.A.? Uh, no, you put L.A. in our notes here, so I was wondering. Oh, my bad. I put New York in my oh, Okay. Well, it's probably New York because it's more popular anyway. Right. So anyway, it's a, it's a six-issue miniseries from Boom Studios, which uh, was written by Greg Pak and pinned by Daniel Bayless, which those are two guys I'm not familiar with. Um, but I know that this is going to transport Jack Burton from Big Trouble Little China to a dystopian like 1997 where he's going to meet Snake Plissken. And they haven't, wow. they haven't really talked much more about the plot. Um, they really just put out a little bit of teaser, but I'm pretty excited for it because I love both Big Trouble Little China and Escape from New York. Escape from L.A. is okay, but it pales in comparison to uh, the original or the first one from the series. Now, I know that you just watched Big Trouble in Little China again the other day. Yeah. And what did yeah. you think about it? Uh, I thought you might ask me this question. And I'm not sure I watched it in the right way. Because like, I, I watch it. Sometimes I'll watch movies like when I'm working. So they're just off in the on the other monitor. Right. So I would say I probably actually, I heard all of it. But I only saw probably 75%. And every time I looked at that damn screen... There was uh, one of two things happening. Uh, Jack Burton was fumbling around, uh, spouting out some line that didn't make much sense, or there was lightning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> or there was a uh, who's the is it Lopan? It is David Lopan, who has a uh, I don't know his eyes were always lighting up and shit. Right. <laughs> then. At the, at the very end they have it's all very i don't want to say anticlimactic but it's all on the journey to get there where the excitement is because i mean at the very end it's like he just throws a knife at his head and catches it they're like okay there's no like crazy fight or anything i mean the whole crazy fight happened before that i guess yeah it, it i guess it is kind of anticlimactic in that regard but it is fun that all the action that leads up and the craziness and i i totally get why you adore it and it's it's very entertaining i will give it that it's definitely not it definitely didn't take how many oscars <laughs> Pro probably not um so one thing i want to address is it's going to be a six issue miniseries it is and i'm noticing that happening a lot lately like even some of the books that i'm going to talk about it's like a six issue miniseries or this is part of a four issue miniseries or something like that right so uh, why, why are they doing that why why aren't they just you know trying to go for it and see how long they can go maybe quality over quantity because okay a lot of these books are coming from smaller studios where they're more artists artists are more able to control creativity i think so unlike the big box companies, i.e. Marvel, uh, they're not churning out books just to write a cash cow until it dies in the street. Right. Like they're, like I said, I think they're going more for quality over quantity. And I respect that. Um, I also appreciate 
um, miniseries over super long runs. I've never been a big fan of super long runs of books. I think it's just too hard to get into them. It, right? it is. Especially if you're a guy who wants to start at the beginning. Exactly. It's very overwhelming. And there also might be a, a business component too, right? Like, well, we're a smaller studio, so we can only contract you for X amount. That That's true. They don't have the cash up front to pay for as much work maybe so just to write a blank check like okay you're here for however long right exactly cool well i mean i'm, I'm certainly gonna check that out and i did download escape from new york and i watched the uh probably like the first five minutes and then my computer took a shit but do you remember the intro to judge dread or not judge dread uh demolition man i do where it's like 1995 right and so i'm watching this and i'm just thinking of that and it's like 1997 it's like this crazy future right and i'm like that's that was a long time ago (laughs) and the world looks nothing like this (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) all right let's uh let's talk about some books we were reading then if you're ready yeah definitely so uh, what's the first one? Uh, Weird Detective number one, I think, was the first one on the list. Mm. Okay, I've got it here. Detective Sebastian Green. Definitely. And Detective Santa Fez. Oh, is that the girl? It is. All right, let me bring up my, uh, my stuff here. I think that might be the one book I accidentally didn't grab. That's all right. Uh, I got it. That's all right. I wrote quite a bit about it. So, uh, just some history on Weird Detective. Uh, this was Dark Horse does this thing called Dark Horse Presents, where they like will introduce stories and see how they do. Right. And each issue, I I don't think it even comes out monthly, does it? It might. I don't know um, because I don't see it regularly, uh, either right. on the Diamond List or on Comicsology or anywhere really. But it is there sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um. But that's usually a collection of like three or four different stories all in one comic book. And this is nothing new. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, but Weird Detective premiered last year um, in the current volume of Dark Horse Presents. And I tried to get a hold of it. And it was strangely difficult to get a hold of. And uh, so I didn't know anything hardly about it. I didn't get a chance to read before the issue one came out. And it was awesome. Hmm. I was trying to think if I had seen that, and I remember seeing a Dark Horses Dark Horse Presents on the shelves at Gabby's, but I don't think it had Weird Detective in it. So I'm wondering if it was an older one, because there is sometimes several volumes of stuff on the shelf back there. Oh no, it goes way back. It's like they're at like I think they're at like I think they're in the late twenties or the thirties now of Dark Horse Presents, and this was like Sixteen. Oh, it was, okay. It, it was a while ago, last year. Oh, got it. Okay. So, um, the, when I read the summary of what it was about, and I saw that it was tied to the Cthulhu mythos, I brought it to your attention, and I knew instantly that you would probably enjoy that. You were correct. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um go ahead no you go ahead um i was just gonna start talking about the crazy shit that happens in this book okay uh he has 
so we have this weird detective guy and we don't really know anything about him uh there's a murder and a, they're at a public pool mm-hmm. and there's a body in the bottom and like everything's been extracted from it right like it's just like a like a skin suit at this yeah, point. yeah exactly it's like a yeah exactly a, a, a skin suit and oh we do know a couple of things about him though um, we do about sebastian green He's Canadian, remember? That's like the big joke. Oh, oh, right, Is he's right, right. so quirky because he's Canadian. Which, that's fucking offensive because I'm half Canadian and I don't act like that dude. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm not really <laughs> offended, but it's funny that there's always those Canadian stereotypes. And they run it, I don't want, they don't run it into the ground, but they throw it in yeah, a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same old shit, like, they don't get creative with it, it's just, he's Canadian. I thought they did towards the end, and I made a note about it, but we'll get there. Okay. Oh, he also has 17 senses. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. So um, the first one is, like, emotional location. And they all have, like, freaky names, right? Yeah, they do. And uh, this is just the ability to detect... Jeez, I don't even know how to phrase it here. Uh, they put it in the book. You may sometimes get that feeling that the person you're with is somewhere else or lost in thought. That's because dissonance between physical and mental locations causes fluctuations in the wavelength of your ultraviolet aura. Okay. Yeah, I, you lost me, Professor. <laughs> uh, but another one he has, he has like a UV ray pinging, but so it acts like sonar, but with ultraviolet rays instead. Um, another one he has is... There's something he calls Ranos, which is like a reverse sonar where he like can vibrate stuff from his chest that and it allows him to like phase through objects, right? Right. Because at one one point he grabs somebody through a wall or something. He does, which is which is interesting because I wonder if that if we're if we're gonna see that um transfer to other people, like can he grab somebody and rip them through a wall, or does he have to go through the wall after he grabs them? Or can he just like straight up go uh, uh, Indiana Jones style and tear at someone's heart out? Oh, oh, that's hmm. <laughs> that that would be a hell of an ability. That would be yeah, pretty legit. And he said seventeen, but I I I only wrote down these another one, and that was reading the mind through the eyes. Yeah, I didn't even write them down because I meant to bring the book and flip to them and talk about them, but oh, that's cool. Fuck that one up. Uh, one thing I want to address is fucking cat. Yeah, what's the deal with that cat? Dude. So he has a cat that thinks like a cat and acts like a cat, but talks like a goddamn mob boss or something. Yeah, he's like <laughs> like a Jersey gangster. <laughs> it's so great. The first time we see the cat, he's like forgetting something. It's like he wants his cat food. And then he's like talking to him and stuff. And he opens his, his fridge and he drinks exclusively this diet fizzo drink. Right. Whatever whatever that does for Which him. is like Fago for Juggalos. I hey, slow down. <laughs> and uh my one of my favorite quotes from the cat, he says, uh, if you want a yes man, get a dog. You may scratch behind the ears now. <laughs> like, Typical of a cat. Oh yeah. It was awesome. So, I mean, he's clearly uh, an alien, or he's from somewhere. Which I suspect 
the same place that Sebastian Green is from or whatever the No. Yeah, I mean both of them I meant Sebastian Green is an alien. Got it. Yeah, they're they're both definitely um from somewhere else, probably the same place. And uh one guy gets his ass sucked through a toilet, which I thought was a fascinating mechanic. That was that Disgusting. took me yeah, that took me by surprise on the I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that um, Sebastian Green's like police record has been otherwise fairly mediocre up until the last few months when he all of a sudden became a super cop, which that's why that uh, Detective Fayez is on his is his partner anyway because if you remember the chief of the detectives like wanted her to like figure oh, yeah. out how all of a sudden he became a fucking super cop. So I'm guessing well, that whatever transpired has like has been fairly recent since all of a sudden yeah. the man's ability to do his job has increased exponentially. Well, they sort of address that with one panel, and it's with the cat. And uh, he says, you may scratch behind the ears now. Thank you for everything. What is your name? And he says, name. What the fuck should I know? Like, I have any use for that shit. That's the cat talking. Right. But there's one panel where there's a man that looks exactly like Sebastian Green, but he's in like a like a plastic chamber laying in bed. So it's almost mm-hmm. like Sebastian Green is a clone of that old cop guy or something. I was thinking it was like, oh, that movie. I think Bruce Willis was in it where like you sat in a chair and then like your your body ran oh like... yeah I, I was talking about this with a friend the other day the surrogates yeah that's the one yeah I was thinking it might be something like that it might be that would be interesting uh one thing that I thought was pretty cool was that his partner is a lesbian and they have and they have some panels with her wife probably and they have a baby together and then she has to like bring the baby with her to like investigate <laughs> crime scenes and he's right? all that's inappropriate or unprofessional <laughs> and she goes sorry it won't happen again real unprofessional <laughs> and i thought it was funny that she thought that he was gay uh sebastian green oh yeah like her gaydar yeah. was going off and she's like oh i know my kind and this this was one of my favorite canadian quips came he's like we do not have the gay in canada oh right (laughs) (laughs) and then she says something about him and hockey of course and he he texts he types into his phone what is hacky with a h a k i like he he has to go home and google it so great oh and one thing speaking of that he goes home and when he first gets there, he starts watching uh, old school detective movies, right? Mm-hmm. To learn how to to learn how to be one, like Sherlock Holmes and Dick Tracy. Right. And he like studying them how to act. Right. So that means that whatever whatever the whatever being he is, when he takes over another body, I guess he must learn everything over again. Well, he certainly doesn't inherit their memory. Right. I wonder if he, and I wonder if they learn at an accelerated rate. Something like that. Well, we he's he's really old. We know that whatever entity he is, right? But uh, it's just really fascinating. And then the book ends with that detective following him to some hobo gypsy camp, and they throw in a nice Blair Witch reference. 
and then she's getting attacked. So I assume she he's gonna jump in at some point. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, great book. Yeah, excellent. Uh, cannot wait for the next issue, which I think comes out n- not next week, but the week after. Uh, something like that. Double sized. So it doesn't feel super double sized. I hope the next one's not like paper thin. No, it doesn't feel double sized, but it was definitely nice quality. Oh, yeah. I think we're experiencing that with a lot of the Dark Horse books. Oh, actually, Weird Detective is next week. And speaking of miniseries, Weird Detective is actually a five book miniseries, which I know, okay. which I think you knew, but the listeners I, may not. It wasn't on my brain. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to say about that? No. Um, if you're a fan of Lovecraftian type writing and monsters, uh, you like the Cthulhu mythos, definitely check it out. It has the style of Lovecraft without the antiquated English that can be kind of hard for people to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly experienced that when I tried to get into it. So I think the next book we were going to talk about was Steve Rogers, Captain America number two, which only seems fitting considering all of the hysteria that was caused following issue one with Cap saying, Hail Hydra. Jesus Christ. And do you know how much coverage issue two got? Like fucking zero. Like I didn't hear about it from anywhere. None. Because it just shut everyone up and they just were all like, wow, we're stupid. And I really liked the uh, this, this issue. It was good. So, uh, okay. So let's just talk about what happened and why Cap is the way he is now. Okay. So, go ahead. So, Cap is the way he is because he's under mind control from the Cosmic Cube. Ah, I think that's a popular misunderstanding. Is it? He's not under mind control. Okay. He's had his entire DNA rewritten. Ah, okay. Fair enough. So the cube is, her name is Kobik, and she's, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. brought together a bunch of cosmic cube fragments. Like, if you've seen the first movie, you know what that's about. Right. Um, and, uh, the cube fragments got together and they manifested themselves as this little girl named Kobik. And this all took place in the standoff, what's the word I'm looking for? Story thing that happened a couple months ago. And she starts this prison called Pleasant Hill, where everybody in there is transformed. Their their reality is altered, and they think that they're the mailman, but they're really Captain Zemo, right? Right. So there's this, like, Mayberry town of supervillains all living together, but they're all being controlled by Kobik. Oh, okay. And so what happens in there is the Red Skull is actually part of that community, and he orchestrates the entire thing so that Kobik transforms Steve Rogers. And what's explained in Captain America 2 is that Kobik has been in league with the Red Skull the whole time. Right. That like It, it was almost as if the Red Skull is like this paternal, like, yeah. care, uh, paternal 
whatever. The father, father figure. Yes, thank you. Father figure. That's what I wanted to say, but. And uh, there's like panels where the Red Skull is like reading her storybooks, but it's like slightly twisted, like where Hydra is the heroes, right? Exactly. But she definitely has this daddy thing going on with him. Which is very scary. Yeah, definitely, considering how much power she has. I'm just flipping through here. Because when she shows up first, uh, he doesn't recognize her. He's just like, oh, this is a little girl here now. And then he recognized her, like, as his cube, right? Because he has, like, a love for this thing or something. Well, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's kind of like when Jafar and Aladdin had the magic lamp. He was kind of, like, in love with the lamp. I think it's like a power thing. <laughs> uh, totally. And uh, I mean that—that that was basically it, right? Yeah. It, it just explained that Steve Rogers has been reborn. I don't know how to say it. His who he is down to his very core has just been rewritten. Yeah, he's been rebooted. So he's not actively under any mind control. He's not like able to be puppeted with strings. It's like the biggest the biggest mindfuck of the world. It's like a lo- the longest con ever. Right. Everybody thinks it's like a joke. Right. But it's not. So, I think what's going to What do you think's going to happen? Like to Captain, is he going to come back to to who he was pre-Kobic? I wonder if maybe hmm Maybe something is going to happen to have the Kobic turn on Red School, or maybe some other being will come and be able to help Cap get his get his DNA written back to what it originally was. Because yeah. until there's some intervention, this guy is legit a Hydra agent. Yeah, definitely. No, no, no matter what. I mean, it's not like he's going to get hit with a potted plant and it's going to change. It's just, it's impossible. Right. And then what's even what's even stranger is that Bucky and the Falcon, I think it was, showed up on the last panel. Like, Yeah, that was weird. Like, I wonder if we're going to find out that the same thing happened to them. Um, I don't think so. I think they were just trying to... They were just recounting the events from uh, Standoff. And just showing that, because there's some stuff about there about his friends. And when your friends lie dead around you, when all you once fought for is turned to a pile of ash, then you will kneel for me and speak the words, Hail Hydra. So I don't think he's actually talking to them. He's It's just like the Red Skull thinking about what happened. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Because right now in the Thunderbolt series, Kovic and Bucky are together. And so he like has Kovic as part of the Thunderbolts right now. Oh, okay. So she's still very much active in the Marvel Universe in the Thunderbolt series. And she does some messed up stuff. Because she's just a little kid. And a lot of the team members hate her guts. So we'll probably talk about the Thunderbolts at some point. Okay. But, I mean, that's about it. It, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything... I don't know. It didn't live up to the hype. No, it didn't. Um... I wasn't disappointed, but I I didn't walk away from it super pumped for issue three. 
No, I think I'm more more interested in the long the long haul. Yeah. What's it get, what's the future going to hold? Uh one thing I did like though that before we move on is they made a Gremlins reference. After Yeah, after the cube fragments had killed those scientists, Director Hill says that um someone must have fed them after midnight. Which is a Mogwai reference from Gremlins. Like, you're not supposed right. to feed them after midnight. Otherwise, they turn into those, like, monsters. Okay. I think we need to talk about Maria Hill for a second. The way she talks in every single series is complete crap. She has, like, zero identity yeah. from, from what I read about her. All she does is drop one-liners all day. Yeah, she's, like... A less interesting Nick Fury. Dude, I can't stand her when she talks. She reminds me of if the if you put the Punisher in a leadership position. Just, <laughs> I don't think he would try to be that funny. Just not... Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> but as far as her being, like, authoritative, I just... I, I don't know. And maybe I just don't know her history enough. That makes two of but us. But it's just pretty dog shit every time i read dialogue from her and it's not just in this it's been like every book different writers they all take the same stance it's like whoever wrote their template for maria hill and what they're about just needs to fucking scrap it start over (laughs) yeah she should be a badass she's the leader of shield for shit's sake yeah i agree but yeah gremlins cool I like Gremlins. Yeah, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> what? It takes place during Christmas. Does it really? Yeah. Okay. He gets Mogwai, or rather, I'm sorry, Gizmo. He gets Gizmo as a Christmas gift. Okay. Do you think those were inspirations for Furbies? Uh, I do, yeah. Okay. Um, But I don't understand where the beat came from. Maybe that was just enough to make it different from be- not being a straight-up ripoff. I guess. Uh, All right, let's move on. Comics. All right. Batman number two. Yes, indeed. Uh, Batman number one, great. Tom King, fucking awesome. Yeah, fucking gangster. So uh, we have Batman doing Batman shit. And then at the end of issue one, we have Gotham and what's her name? Gotham, Gotham Girl. Girl. Yeah. Right. And they are the new superheroes in Gotham. They are. And Batman, he makes some reference to it in the beginning here. He came really close to death and he's like, when I die, Dick's probably going to take over. But then Dick's going to die. And it's like, he's starting to realize that the future of Gotham is going to need some superhero intervention at some point, I think. I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that as we start talking about this issue, the, the story of it, it that's going to be more evident. I If I had to identify like the story itself, I would say like four things happened. Okay. In the beginning, you have uh, Solomon. Solomon? Is that how you yeah, say Solomon it? Yeah, Solomon Grundy. Yeah, who's an old school villain yeah like from like the monster man i think uh he's actually from the golden age i made a note here oh. he's he's that old he was like in detective comics still double digits oh damn i think i might be wrong but uh gotham and gotham girl are fighting him and they're destroying a bunch of shit 
and Batman intervenes and takes him out. Mm-hmm. And drops some of his bat wisdom. He says, uh, something about them destroying too much stuff or whatever, them not being careful. Right. Uh, oh, <laughs> and he just says, do better. And then they've got like a hobo drinking stuff. Right. Which was weird. Yeah, that kind of random. Yeah. So, um, the other thing that happened was the guy, there's a guy in Commissioner Gordon's office, right? There is, yeah. And he says something about the monster men coming, and then he kills himself. Right. And the monster men are, uh, what is it, Victor Strange? Those are his, like, experiments. I remember reading about Hugo 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 Strange. Strange. Yes, thank you. And uh, so, what we what we eventually understand from what this guy says, or he kills himself, and then Gotham and Gotham Girl uh, say that the people who orchestrated the plane attack they killed themselves too, and that this the guy that killed himself in Gordon's office is the guy who set Grundy free. So what you have is like all of these people orchestrating terrible things, but then killing themselves, right? Right. And then there's some crap where they fly to the bat signal and have an interaction. More Batman being Batman. And then that was pretty much it. Hugo Strange has a panel at the end, and then you officially know that it's him. Right. Um, I think that Gotham and Gotham Girl are kind of like kind of lame. Like their names are kind of lame. Um, but I think in terms of powers and skills, I think they show potential for being good guardians of Gotham if Dick and Bruce, well, when Dick and Bruce die, since Gotham and Gotham Girl are supermen, and as we know, Dick and Bruce are mortals. All right. So, I mean, I I think you hit something there where they were kind of lame. I think you said their names were lame. I did say their names were lame, yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I just think them as heroes are kind of lame. I just, when they saved the plane, I was just like, wow, we have two bona fide badasses. And they just basically turn out to be novices. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're here to learn from Batman. So that kind of, I don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way, but I was expecting it to go a different direction. But I have faith in Tom King. Yeah, they can't all be home runs, um, but I think That's it's right. set up to be... Uh, I'm looking forward to the third issue. I'm enjoying uh, this story quite a bit. Uh, I think it's funny that Alfred's kind of sarcastic in this. Um, yeah. I mean, he's always been kind of witty, but I think it's funny that there's a panel where he ta- he talks about... Where Alfred talks about Bruce not trusting him because Bruce asked him for a katana dueling blade for his 10th birthday and uh alfred got him a waka zashi i think i pronounced that is it is that like the wooden sword or something or the smaller version of the katana um i'm not exactly sure um it's like the smaller yeah i think it is as well i'm not well that's a breach of trust if i've ever i know i i can't believe that i know i can't believe that he didn't hire 
a junkie to shoot Alfred in an alley. <laughs> Can't believe that old fucker's still employed. I know, right? Um, uh, so anyway, I think it's a good segue into the next issue. But like you said, nothing super phenomenal took place. Yeah. But uh, Well, one thing I wanted to say real quick before we stop is Professor Hugo Strange, he was one of Batman's first recurring villains from the Golden Age. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. And in that um, on the very last panel of the book, uh, I think it's important to note that Hugo Strange has like military people behind him and somebody from like the city of Gotham, I think. Yeah. So I he's like that. in league with some higher ups and something shiesty is going on internally. Definitely. And I'm wondering if it's like, um, oh, I can't think of the military officer's name in the Incredible Hulk. Uh, oh, I don't know. You know who I'm talking about. The one who made Wolverine? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, it'll come later. Yeah. I forget. Anyway, I'm wondering if Stryker. It, Stryker, yep, that's it. I wonder if it's something right. like that. Oh, probably. And I know we didn't... Did you read the latest Detective Comics? No, I'm still... Okay. Those are then I won't two say, I'm behind then on. I won't, then I won't say anything. Just hold that notion when you're reading it. Okay, will do. Uh, let's move straight to the next one here. Four kids walk into a bank. Number dose. Numero dose. Numero. Yep, dose. Um, I thought the book started off kind of slow, but I was in a shitty mood when I read it. And when I went to go to reread it, yeah, I liked it a lot more. Yeah, I did. I. Go ahead. I did not feel that it started off slow. So when you told me that, I was a bit surprised. Um, because I thought it it was it was paced perfectly all the way through. Actually, I like that they started out like in the first issue they start out with a D and D campaign taking place. Yes, and in this one they start off they're playing an arcade. They're game. playing a side scrolling fighting game like Double Dragons or uh, Streets of Rage, <laughs> but with like monsters. Right. And I thought that was fucking awesome. I even made a note of the same thing that I liked how each issue they had opened with a different kind of game. I hope they keep. Yeah, me that. too. Because I, I think that that's something that's just I never seen anything like that, and it's unique no. and fucking pretty interesting. And then they, uh, Paige, she's the twelve year old, right? Or she eleven? She's eleven. Yeah. She, okay. She like nails some dude with a pizza. Uh, I don't know what you call that. It's like a, the metal thing with the pizza. Yeah, on like it. a pizza tray. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But she busts that dude in the fucking face with it. Like <laughs> she is the badass of the group. She does not fuck around. Well, then she gets arrested. Yeah, and her and fucking Duncan end up in jail. Duncan's the guy she hit, right? No, Duncan is her buddy. Oh, okay. Oh no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Duncan is the. Dude wearing the red hoodie. Okay. Um. But Paige, like, you know, she confronts her dad about our, her, her and the guys are speculating what their dad was doing in the same restaurant with those Nazis, and she right. was like, "Well, he wouldn't lie to me." And they said, "Well, maybe he was there to kill them, or they just happened to be eating at the same place." And he was like, "Hey, come sit with me, Nazis." Yeah. <laughs> Let's have some coffee and work it out. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think one thing that we're skipping here is that the police officer at the station is her uncle. Yeah, Uncle Bruce. 
and that so you have uncle bruce who's a cop and then her dad who's like he's he used to be a bank robber i mean that's pretty much writing on the wall right? yeah i think that he's like the criminal brother that probably the big brother because if you look at uh bruce's hair compared to dad's hair is it bruce is a young younger guy gray or gray hair i'm sorry brown hair yeah. and pops has like gray sides and back right right um but while fucking dad is chewing Uncle Bruce out for, I don't know, maybe bailing her out or whatever, she's accessing, looks like NCIC, to pull this dude's, the criminal record of the vehicle that the Nazis were riding in. Uh, I made a note about this. Um, because there's an entire sequence where she's doing that, and they're talking to each other, right? It's like two pages. Right. And it's all it's all laid out with, like, computer screens and her doing stuff and them talking to each other. And the last time I remember seeing something like that was from – there was a really old movie with Sandra Bullock. And she was like – was it Conspiracy Theory? She was like a hacker. And she, she like had to copy a bunch of stuff to like a floppy disk, and it was a sequence exactly like this. Oh, weird! This is and you you see this trope all the time, right? It's like the the percents are counting down, and they're oh, about of to course. be caught. Yeah. So I just thought I thought that kind of sequence they translated just perfectly to a comic, I, from the power button of the computer on to the very last panel where it's off. Yeah, it was perfect. It was awesome. I thought they laid it out pretty much perfectly as well um it it was a little messy initially when i first glanced at it but once i started at the corner and rolled through it i, I appreciated what they did with it because just like the starting each um issue with the game it's something unique that makes them stand out yeah so then after she leaves uh the police station you know She's asking her dad, are you mad? He's like, no. Are you sure? No. Are you mad? Yes. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then she asks him, you know, what's the deal with those those dudes? I saw you at the diner. And he's like, I'm sorry. I knew them. I knew them. And, you know, he, he tells her they're not bad guys. You know, I think they just, they're unlucky. Um, they were looking for... He, he thought maybe they were looking for somebody who might actually care about them. Oh, yeah. He's, like, totally defending them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then he knew them from back in the day from when he used to run with, like, a bad crowd. <laughs> which is fucking funny. <laughs> and then it's like, who the fuck is this Asian kid in the back? Oh, that's a foreign exchange. Right, team. he just got here. And they're like, <laughs> does he understand us? I don't know. <laughs> I just love that they just throw that in there. It's like, you know what? This doesn't really have anything to do with our story. There's no lead up to it right now, but here's a foreign exchange student in the back seat. Enjoy that. Okay. Right. And then there's some chemistry crap. Burger sucks. Got it. And the only other notable thing is they find she downloads all of the information about all the Nazis so that she can get addresses and stuff. And they go to one of the houses and break in, and they find plans to, a, like, a bank, finally. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I guess gives them kind of an idea of what they might be up to. And But they also find, like, weed and, like, porn mags. Yeah. And, like, beer. All the, and, like, a knife. All the fun stuff you want to find when you're when you're committing a break uh, B&E. Yeah. As 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> it's like you can tell it's like Pabst Blue Ribbon. Oh yeah, on the table. only the finest. <laughs> and then she burns that mother down. Oh, she like she fucking burninates him, dude. Dude, the uh, the quintessential flamethrower of all youth is a lighter and some combustible aerosol. Yeah, can. some kind of aerosol. It doesn't even matter what it is. Hairspray, freaking axe, cologne, whatever it is, dude. And she just busts that out. Oh, one thing I thought was cool was the uh, when they got back to using like different mechanics. Uh, they use the devil and the angel on the shoulder. Yeah. While she's deciding what to do. I like that too. That was fun. Yeah. Um, it go go all the way to the last panel. Okay. And you see how he's laying on the floor with like on the ground with his leg kicked up. Yeah. You see the dudes in the foreground holding their pistols. Yeah. Over on the left, the guy is spraying water. Well, if you look yeah. at the water, it looks like muzzle flash. I thought they were. Sh- I thought he was shooting the fucking guy on the ground, like calling him a liar and shooting him. I was like, damn, that guy's a fucking savage. And then I was like, oh, that's water trying to put his buddy out while he's on fire. And then the other guy says liar, uh-huh. and you just gotta you gotta put the rest in, right? Pants on fire. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then at the very end, there's like the very back of the cover is just a picture of a quarter, and I was like, that's so fitting. I like it. It's just it's good stuff. This is this is true indie comic book writing. They're doing their own thing and it's it's good shit. It's great. Um okay. Uh we're taking up a lot of time, so let's try to keep it kind of short for our books cuz we have a few. I'm going to just burn through mine. I'm going to spend like 5 minutes on each one. Okay. So why don't you go first? So these are books that you're doing books that I haven't read, and I'll do some books that you haven't read. Okay. Um, so why don't you go first? So the first books books that I'm going to talk about are Han Solo 1 and 2 from Marvel. Okay. Um, this is a decent Star Wars story. Um, the premise is that Han has been taking a break from the Rebel Alliance and went back to what he does best, which is smuggling. But um, just like in the movies, Leia kind of puts her magic on him and convinces him to do something for the Alliance. So he's like younger, like old school, the first star Wars movie that came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. On. Okay. Um, and she wants him to enter this infamous race called the dragon's void because they're hoping to uncover some potential rebel spy who may have defected to the empire. Um, and this, this, uh, whatchamacallit, this race will have him going through tons of like systems and stopping at planets that he otherwise wouldn't have a reason to stop at and it would be suspicious. So okay. he's got to run through this race and it's like pretty dangerous. Um, there's but it's good. It's good. The book? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's nothing that's super interesting. It doesn't have me looking forward to the next issue like Weird Detective or like Four Kids does, but... I'm having fun with it. The second the second issue um, has Han running through some races and almost getting blown up because um, there's some probes that I guess had some kind of weaponry on them that ended up in line with the race and it was like a fight for everybody to avoid getting blown up. This is like a Millennium Falcon race. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's not like a fucking foot race. No, and not a pod, not a pod race either. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. But at the end, 
the Empire shows up at the when they're taking a break from the first sequence of the race, and they take several pilots into under arrest, including Han. And Han gets in a fight with a couple of the stormtroopers, and the last panel is like this Imperial officer who's got his hand out outstretched, like shake to shake hands, and he's saying. We don't want to spoil any, or we don't want to spill any blood on the camera, do we? The camera. Oh, because okay. it's televised. It's like televised. Yeah, yeah okay. it's like a big major event in the galaxy. But it's a good book. Okay. Um, if you like Star Wars and you like Han Solo, it's worth a read. Um, but it's nothing amazing. Okay. It's also a five-part cool. miniseries. So it's not that much of an investment for people to check out. No, definitely not. All right, Star Wars. Um, I'm just going to jump straight to my book. Uh, mine is Control, and this is from uh, Dynamite. And I saw the cover to this, and it has like a like a 38 special on it that has like a gag ball wrapped around the handle and a pair of like American flag panties on it. So I was like, all right. I'm going to pick this up and see what it's about. It's got mature readers all over You're it. You're all instant boner. <laughs> and the, the instant comic boner. And uh, this is a miniseries as well. Uh, one of six. And uh, this is a cop drama. Um, it starts off, there's a guy hanging uh, on a chair. Oh no, he's hanging from the rafters, but his feet are on the chair. So all you got to do is kick him out and he starts hanging. And there's a guy asking him for information. And uh, one of the panels, two, two, uh, two uniforms roll up, and they're knocking on the door to this apartment where he's interrogating this guy. And they bust in there, and he kills them both. Damn. And so there's, like, they call for backup or something, so the main character is dispatched with her partner to the scene. And they get there, and the guy's still on the chair, and he's not officially hanging yet but as soon as they bust in the door dude kicks the chair out and starts running oh shit so one of the partners runs and grabs the legs of the guy that's hanging the girl and uh she's holding him there trying to keep him alive and she tells her partner to go after him which is like a big no-no right because they, they need to stay together and her partner ends up getting killed and then there's Typical cop stuff that happens. She goes to the station. They're all divided. Half of them hate her guts. And she's reprimanded by the by her superior for leaving her partner. And then she has to deal with all that internally. Hmm. So they get her they get her a new partner to try to help solve this crazy assassin shit. And they get a bunch they find like a they go back to the scene and they find a passport and money and a cell phone. And through the phone, they're able to track one of the numbers to a location, which is a hotel. And she busts in there, and it's this senator that they talk about in the beginning who uh, wasn't very well liked, judging by the news broadcast. And he's in there, and let me just describe to you what's happening. So we have, we have the senator, and he's on a bed. Uh, he's railing some girl from behind. <laughs> And she's got her she's her hands are handcuffed and chained to the ceiling. She's blindfolded with a ball gag. And then you see like another girl there who's all in leather with like a whip. And he's like, This uh this isn't what it looks like. Oh wow. 
and you're like, okay. So it's pretty uh, gritty. It's pretty gritty. Um, it reads really smooth. It's like you're watching an episode, your favorite episode of CSI or something. Oh, wow. It's just really, really nice. nice. Uh, issue two came out last week or the week before, and it just followed right along. I just loved every part of it. That's awesome. That uh, sounds really good, re- actually. Highly recommended if you're into cop stuff, which seems to be a reoccurring theme lately in comic books. Yeah, definitely. Uh why don't you go ahead and do your next one? Okay, so what I want to talk about is Horizon Number One, which is an image comic. It just came out last week. It's a space space invasion book um, from kind of a different perspective. Um, the opening panels show like this ray of light blowing through this satellite and re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, only to like crash land in like in somewhere in the Arctic. Um, and this alien chick pops out wearing like this black bikini, ba- not not bikini, bathing suit type thing, and okay. um, she's like yelling to her, I guess on some kind of visual computer that she has, and it brings up like a map, um, and she realizes that her translator is broken, um, so she, oh, she's in Canada actually. That's right. She's in camp where, where, where they don't have the gay and hacky. Right. Or they have hacky. hacky and no, none of the gays. <laughs> uh, and she, she shapeshifts into this, you know, um, Canadian looking woman in like a parka and beanie. Like, oh, I was going to say Fargo. And oh, yeah, well, yeah, that too. And then heads to like the <laughs> mall. Um, and it's weird because she's walking through the mall and everybody has like a bubble above their head that says how much money they have in their bank accounts. Wow. Okay. And when she first walks in, it says 0.0 above her. But as she walks by people, it, the number gets bigger. So she's like able to steal people's money. Oh, wow. So she's like got some crazy tech like inside of her or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but her translator's broken. So she can't understand anybody or anything like that. Okay. Um, so she goes through the mall and she buys like the tools to fix her tech. Um, and then she goes and gets a motel room. So she's like fixing, like doing her own surgery to fix her translator. And she gets that work. And, um, and then she like goes down for a snooze and starts like having a fucking nightmare about the surgery that she had to undergo before this trip to earth. Okay. She's like an alien commander. Her name is Zaya Malin. Uh Um, and I guess she's having like a like PTSD type nightmare where she's screaming and stuff because the dude next door starts knocking on her door and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, is there a guy in there just telling you that? And she's like, no, I'm fine. Um, and then she's looking over and she sees like this dude on some kind of flying like motorcycle. And the guy's like, oh, you've never seen one of those? And next thing you know, you see her like explode an explosion and her like rolling out on this dude's bike. Um, and she meets up with this old alien lady called like Madame Koza. Okay. And they're talking about like, she's talking about like how they've got to stop the invasion, which I guess there's two agents on earth who are trying to leave earth to go like invade her planet. And that's the problem. Like she's like, they're not going to come to my planet and make the same mistakes they made on theirs. So the whole idea is that she's like trying to stop these people leaving Earth, going to her planet to invade it and fuck it up. Um, it's really cool. I really like the art. Um, and the story was just interesting. 
Um, well, it's, it sounds like a lot happened. Yeah, definitely. They laid out a really good first issue for, um, like, well, just laying the foundation what, for good storytelling. What publisher is that? Image. Image, okay. Are we reading anything else that's awesome by Image right now? Uh, anything else awesome by Image? No, not that I can think of. It's like all Dark Horse that's good right now. And D- indie other stuff. And DC. And DC, yeah. Yeah, I feel like DC and Dark Horse are the two that are like, I'm kind of not having that much fun with Marvel at the moment. Not me either, really. Um, okay, so um, I certainly want to talk about my next book, but we're taking quite a bit of time here, so why don't I just talk about the next one and then let's yak about the Golden Age for a bit and then skip our other ones, and if there's time, we can get to it. I don't think there's going to be time. Um, Probably not. So, yeah, whatever you want to do. I'm All right, well, I want to talk about Satan's Sodomy Baby, ah, number two. right. So, um, Satan's Sodomy Baby number one uh, came out a long time ago. And the thing with this book is that it's always going to be a physical book. They'll never officially release a digital version. And they only print it once. Right. So, wow. if, you, if you haven't got it, uh, now would be the time. But uh, how do I describe this book? Take every single thing that people get offended because people aren't politically correct about it and it's in this book being shit on the very first thing that they talk about is uh well first it starts off with uh satan and he's talking to one of his minions and they're going through like basically like a like a status report on earth and what humans are doing almost like a corporate meeting and the first thing they start talking about is gun control and you've got these like stereotypical cartoonish looking characters and uh this one guy's being interviewed and he says okay well even if even if he were to come for your guns he says obama's here to take their guns and he says okay well even if he were to come here for your guns what would you say to statistical evidence from europe and australia that restricting firearms does in fact reduce shootings and this guy turns around and pulls his pants down, and he says, Hey, we're goddamn Americans, not heathen European sissies or Australian homosexual commies. Oh, God. So I get to that panel, and I'm like, okay, we got something going on here. And uh, it just, the next page jumps straight to some Al-Qaeda coming into a sandwich shop trying to commandeer meat product sandwiches in the name of Allah. And the American guy busts in. <laughs> and he says, Jesus, gentle lamb of patriotic freedom, guide my bullets straight and true to splatter the brains of these godless Muslims all over the griddle. And he proceeds to kill everybody. And then it's like, my hero, his dick must be huge. So. Wow. Then. Yeah. So then. Uh, it goes back to Satan and he's talking like through the meeting again and the demon says and then there's this Donald Trump he just became the Republican nominee for president Satan freaks out he says it's the sign of the end times and they need to get the sodomy baby on the horn because apparently he can fix these things so the Satan sodomy baby is like this little baby looking demon and he goes to heaven to 
acquire his Horseman of the Apocalypse because Donald Trump has been nominated and it's clearly the end times. So, wow. His first horseman is Jimmy Stewart, who agrees to have his head removed and put on a lost in space robot. His second horseman of the apocalypse is Macho Man Randy Savage. Awesome. And the oh and yeah. The third, <laughs> and he says that. What does he say? He says, "Oh yeah, dig it." <laughs> <laughs> and his third horseman of the apocalypse is Jack Kirby, who is reluctant to go. He says he's done. Until the Satan Somri baby mentions that Stan Lee made a cameo in a highly successful Captain America movie, implying that the un- implying to the uneducated that he created the character. Jack Kirby gets furious, says motherfucker, and then decides that he's going to be the third horseman of the apocalypse to kill Stan Lee. Damn. And then there's a panel with... It says, I guess we should cut this part where Lee wears a Spider-Man suit while Kirby has sex with his face holes and screams Excelsior. Anyway, you see Donald Trump standing there with Murdoch and the coach. Is it the coach? The coach? Coach brothers? Coach brothers? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, some titans of industry and they all have no pants on. And then Trump is like filleting them. Uh, Tom Brady shits out an entire horse the macho man Randy the macho man Randy Savage smashes Trump's head like Game of Thrones style and then the sodomy baby crawls through his bottom and up through his body and it just continues like that with all kinds of insane things President Palin of Kuntistan and at the very end he goes uh, Apocalypse Now style to Dick Cheney in the jungle. Dick Cheney gives him a button to end all humanity and he pushes it. Whoa. It was one of the most cringeworthy comics I've ever read. It sounds pretty bad. I mean, it was inter- very entertaining, but like my teeth were just clenched. It's like, ooh, can't, can you say that? I guess you can. <laughs> Ooh, okay, uh, Satan Sonry Baby. If you're looking for something different, that would be it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's talk about the Golden Age of Comics. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our program's main feature, made possible by. This main feature brought to you by uh, the sodomy baby inhabiting Donald Trump's body through his rectum. Uh, Okay, the golden age of comics. So, comics are widely agreed upon to be broken down into four different ages. I believe the order is golden, silver, bronze, and then the modern age. That's correct. Am I right? I'm right on that. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So, let's see. Let's give it 15 minutes and see how far we get. Okay. Let's just quickly burn through. Uh, It starts in the 30s. The Golden Age starts in the 1930s and goes into the 1950s. So, these are like really old comics that hardly anybody reads anymore that are worth the most. Yeah, it's widely regarded as being 1938 to 1950 being the definitive Golden Age. 
1938 because that was the very first Action Comics number one that featured Superman. That's correct. And I collected a bunch of the covers here. They're all they all kind of look the same, like in the way that their coloring is done, and the way it's all laid out. Yeah, I feel like comics were pretty primitive at that point, and the technique was probably not well developed. So. They probably figured out what worked, and everybody kind of did the same thing. Right. Um, okay, so let's see. Who was who came out? Superman was in 1938. Uh-huh. Um, who's, who's next? Uh, I, would, I would argue that Batman is next, um, coming out in 1939, which his first appearance was Detective Comics number 27. Um which was created by Bob Kane in response uh, to the success of Superman that he found in Action Comics. And Superman was Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Correct. Um, and as you know, Batman is is one of the most recognizable comic characters in the world. They've made hundreds of comics about him, two TV shows, and I think seven live action movies. Good God. Yeah, I would argue Superman is Superman's just as known. Um, I would argue that you're right. Um, that wouldn't be much of an argument. No. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see who's next. So we got Superman, Batman, and then um, probably well, there Captain Captain Marvel. Okay. And it's not the Captain Marvel that we know today. This is the Captain Marvel from Wiz Comics number two in 1940. Uh, they wrote a bunch of Captain Marvel in the 50s and 60s. And he was kind of like Superman. He was actually more popular than Superman during that era. People liked him a lot more. Um, but uh, he would later, they then they just kind of dropped it. And then Marvel started doing Miss Marvel and then Captain Marvel and eventually Marvel just kind of took the name. Right. And so they officially started calling that old Captain Marvel character Shazam. Right. And it, it actually quite recently made that official. Like it was kind of up in the air. So as of the new 52 Shazam is that old school Captain Marvel character from the forties. Okay. Interesting. And he's got the same costume still. He's got, like, the little lightning bolt thing, and he always has, like, a white cape or whatever. Right. Um, another character that's worth mentioning from the thirty from 39 is Namor. Um, okay. His first appearance was Marvel Comics number 1, which was the first comic of Timely Comics, which is the predecessor to Marvel. Um and Namor actually was one of their top characters at the time, next to Captain America and the Human Torch. Which is funny because, like, nobody likes Namor now. He's kind of the Aquaman of Marvel. But if you look at the timeline and you look at Marvel Comics number one, he is the OG Marvel superhero. Okay. Um, Really, but nobody, nobody likes him anymore. Yeah. I, I I can't think of anything he's even been mentioned in recently. Yeah, but I'm yeah I agree. Um, but you know, through time he's worked with the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X Men. Um, yeah. so he's gotten into some shit, but he just doesn't get the love or respect that 
a lot of the other characters oh. do. I'm not going to say love and yeah. respect he earned, because Namor sucks, but still. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> is, he Atlant- is he, like, uh, Atlantean? Do you know? Yeah, I think he's, like, uh, yeah, okay. like, yeah. He's, he's like, exactly like a mer like dude, Aquaman but almost. without the tail. Like a super okay. mer dude. All right, so that was <laughs> the late 30s. That was. Okay. So then we move on to let's see Captain Mar- Captain Marvel was 1940. Uh, Wonder Woman was also in 1940. Okay. Uh, in something called All Star Comics number three. And she's not even on the cover. I don't think. Uh, it's basically an old school Justice League where the Flash basically looks like a construction worker, and there's like Hawkman on there, and the Spirit, and just you know people that you don't really see much anymore. Right. So that was her first appearance. Um, And then right after that, I think, is Captain America. Yeah, 1941, actually. Um, Captain America first appeared in Captain America Comics number one, which he was created by, you know, the legendary Jack Kirby and was designed to be a patriotic super soldier who pretty much would fight the world's evil Axis organizations such as Nazis and... Uh, you know. Well, I uh, straight up uh, on the very first cover, he's punching Adolf Hitler in the face. Yeah, that's badass. And he has the he doesn't have the round shield there. He has the the kite shield that he has now. And you see Bucky there, who looks like God. I don't even know. Not like he looks like now. He's like a boy, like a Robin. Oh, weird. Like like his little sidekick. Yeah, like his little sidekick Bucky. Also, Captain America's young ally. Bucky. Oh, what the hell? That's strange. Uh, but yeah, they're they're in a, they're in this room and he's punching Hitler in the face. So here's interesting little bit about that though. Um, Captain America has seen like he's seen pretty good success. He ran from forty one to fifty, um, and then they discontinued it in nineteen fifty, and then revived it again in fifty three. Um, but I don't think it lasted very long in fifty three. But they brought it back in 1964, and it has been in production consistently since 1964. Wow. Yeah, I don't think there's... I, I mean, I can't speak from fact, but I I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another major comic book character in the Marvel Universe that could say they've been in production for... What is that? 52 years? Like, consistent production for 52 years? I don't even think the Fantastic Four started in the Golden Age. No, they started Did in the it? Silver Age. Okay. That would be the only other candidate I would think of. Yeah, the Silver Age is um, when the Fantastic Four started, because we're going to touch on that on our next show, and i already done a ton of research on that age. Sweet. So there's there's a couple other issues. Uh, we have Batman number 66 from 1951. This is the first appearance of the Joker. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, He's, I don't know. It's very weird. He he looks very Joker esque. The way the Joker looks, he has the green hair with the red lipstick, and the sharp sort of sharp features. But he's on like his head is on like this totem pole. Oh, weird. <laughs> and it and Batman and Robin have gotten way buffer on the cover than they were when they started. So their muscles have gotten huge. So they're like fucking yoked up or what? Oh, totally, yeah. Yoked out, rather. Batman's barrel chested. Oh, that's awesome. He's like, which way to the gym? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, they're like flexing at him or something. 
And it says, featuring the Joker's comedy of errors. 52 big pages. And let's see, what other issue did I want to bring up? Um, I think it's important to note that Detective Comics and Action Comics featured Batman and Superman at the time, but they weren't exclusive titles, so they didn't have to be in every issue. Um, Batman officially started his own run called Batman in 1940, and Superman started his own run in 1939. And you you see that consistently today. There's Detective Comics, and there's Batman Comics, and there's Action Comics, and there's Superman Comics. So That's very true. The way that started of running multiple series with the same character is very old. And the Detective Comics Batman... Well, that's Detective Comics. Detective Comics Batman's like in a silver suit. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, on the Batman number one, he's got the old school blue boots on with the blue uh, gloves and stuff. Okay. The classic kind of... Yeah. And Robin the Boy Wonder. Naturally. And, uh... Let's see. uh, The other things that came out there... um, The Spirit, which was one of the first horror-slash-crime books. Because during... During the war, and then a little bit after, it was all, like, crazy superhero stuff, right? And then they started experimenting after that with horror stuff, I yeah, think. Yeah, that was... Because, pe- because people weren't so into heroes anymore. That was... Uh, EC Comics was big into that. They had, like, a crime noir, um, Vault of Horrors, which would later become Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they started to branch off into, like, pulp-type magazine topics i would guess you would call it or storylines yeah and i think and i know we're not gonna talk about it but i think that's probably what prompted the cca stuff yeah exactly um because vault of horrors was hella graphic was it yeah it was it had a lot of gore and stuff that was that in was that in the 50s uh 50s i believe 50s into the 60s yeah yeah so i mean for that time when everybody's trying to be Mayberry. Yeah, exactly. All rocking horse people eating marshmallow pies. <laughs> right, it's all leave it to Beaver. Um, so here's something I wanted to bring up before we roll out of the golden age. Is yeah. um, something I didn't know, and it, it kind of pains me to, to admit this, but it'll please you and my buddy Lee, who will probably listen to this show. Um, okay. Superman is pretty much the OG comic book superhero. Um, He saw a great amount of success in 38, and that spawned Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, etc., which, you know, are all major superheroes still within their respective universes. Um, And even though they're all, all... All those that I've mentioned are DC as well as Superman, it's still... He laid the foundation for what a superhero comic was supposed to look like and or what it was supposed to be. And I think that's pretty cool. I still don't like Superman, but that's cool. And I think the value system that he had back then carried for a long time. And that's why you have, when they're going with the darker Superman these days, you have people on both sides, right? They're like, 
why are you dragging my old Superman through the mud? And then other people are like, hey, they're making him more human or something. Well, the same thing could be said about Captain America with the whole Hail Hydra thing, because that true. was divided with the whole, hey, what are you doing to Captain America? He's America's good old boy. And then other people are like, fuck you. This is this is new <laughs> Captain America. Let's see where this goes. And those people weren't even picking a side. They were just trying to, you know, be reasonable. Exactly. <laughs> But I mean, when you when people feel threatened, good God, they do crazy things. Definitely. So, is there anything else you want to talk about the Golden Age? Uh, I only wanted to mention Archie, and that was the one of the first comics that was targeted towards a teen audience, right? So it dealt with a lot of issues that were relatable. Yeah. Yeah. The kid, the kids, rather. I'm sorry, the teenagers, whatever, could relate to. The stuff that Archie was up to are dealing with bullying, social issues, peer pressure, the typical kind of crap that Archie and the gang would deal with on a regular basis. Those kids could relate to and maybe they could find hope in it. Um, You know, if Archie and the gang can stand up to bullying or stand up to peer pressure, maybe it would inspire some kids to do the same. Well, yeah, it's like you said, it's more relatable. I mean, you can pretend to be Batman, but are you really Batman? But you can certainly put yourself in Archie's shoes. I'm Batman. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it the whole goddamn time. <laughs> you were full of nobody. Right? <laughs> the only person who knows superhero's real identity is the dry cleaner, like I said, and the mailman. They know everything. That's true. Okay, All so right. that was kind of a brief... Uh, look at the golden age and we you know highlighted some of the major issues the major characters but i think things are going to get a little more interesting as we move into the other ages because to be honest i i'm not particularly interested in the golden age um it's kind of lovecraftian written in terms of Mm -hmm. it's a bit antiquated and i feel like it's just it's not the best time it, it wasn't the best time for comic books but i'm glad it was there to lay the foundation for what we have today or what we've seen leading up to today. And I, I think it was, I think it was, they were created in a time where it was, I want to say it was a necessity, but it was the right time to strike. One of the articles I was reading put it pretty well. It says the sales of comic books increased markedly during world war two. They were cheap, portable and had inspirational patriotic stories of good triumph triumphing over evil. The tales very much reflected the events and values of the time. Pro-American characters were popular, particularly Captain America, Shocker, a superhero whose entire creation was based on aiding the country's war effort. Makes sense. That was pretty much the golden age in a nutshell. Yep. Uh, Okay. Let's go ahead and move on. Let's do our pulls from the long box. Yes. We have an audio for that? Um, oh, we don't. Okay, I couldn't remember. Um, I don't see my book here. All right. And I might I might not have it, so I might actually just skip mine. We're already pretty long anyway, so why don't you do yours? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it real quick. Sure. Um, the book I chose was Alistair Arcane number 1 from 2004, which is written by Steve Niles and pinned by Brian Burns. Um, This was released by IDW. And the reason I chose this is because I've always really loved the story. It's my favorite Niles book, as well as um, it was just like 
purchased for a movie. Um, unfortunately, they're talking about Jim Carrey being in the lead role. What was the title again? Alistair Arcane. Alistair Arcane. Yeah, so okay. Alistair Arcane follows Alistair Green, who is a weatherman that semi-retires and becomes kind of a... or becomes a midnight movie host. Like, are you familiar with Elvira? Yeah. So, you know, she hosted movies late at night, like it came from space or killer clowns from outer space or she had the huge creature from the black fake, lagoon huge tits in that fake knife that's her yeah so right okay. so alistair green was alistair arcane and unfortunately he did like some pretty amazing camera work to try to like really add to the tone and intensity of his show well, the neighborhood felt, or you know, the neighborhood in air quotes, felt that he was mm-hmm. too dark and too violent or too gru- gruesome, so they kind of got him fired. Well, so he went into retirement and became kind of a hermit. Um, he's not doing too well, and some kids start coming around. Uh, I don't want to give too much of it away, but it, it's an excellent revenge book. It's an old man who was done wrong out for revenge and i really like it because i've always really liked midnight movies um i grew up watching monster vision on tnt with joe bob briggs and i saw some of my favorite movies on there like reanimator night of the living dead creep show uh tons of like schlocky 50s monster movies that i can't even name and them oh yeah of course and i (laughs) think the cabinet of dr caligari Nosferatu, yeah, all of those. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the Pit and the Pendulum, that's all I got. I don't know anymore. <laughs> pit and the Pendulum, The yeah. Fall of the House of Usher, oh, uh, The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Well, don't know that one. Um, House of Wax. Okay. All of those. Um, I've always loved those characters that host the Midnight Movies and that whole thing. And this book drew me, drew me to it like... Back in 2004, and I've always loved it. I've read it a couple of times uh, over the years, and it's not fantastic. Is it is it a, a one shot or it's is a three? It it's three issues. Okay. Uh, the art is fantastic, and the story is great. Check it out, folks. Alistair Arcane, IDW Publishing, 2004, written by does Steve. Does he have pow- Does he have powers or anything? He does not. Okay. He's not a supernatural being or anything like that. He just set into motion some. Stuff to so he's a avenge. Straight up, straight up, get off my lawn. Yes. Okay. And cool. Yeah, that's my pull from the long box. Awesome. My pull from the long box was a Spider-Man issue that featured uh, Power Man and the Iron Fist together reunited, and it had Spider-Man, Power Man, Iron Fist, and they're fighting a villain called the Scorpion, and there was a few other heroes in there and. I wish I would have remembered to bring it out. Anyway, I'll try to mention it next time. Uh, all right, we're at an hour and a half. I think that's good for us. You want to say anything else? Uh, you started a new Twitter. Is that something that we're supposed to mention? No, that's not a new Twitter. I just, I just went turned on my my old Twitter, oh, okay. which you can. So you, um, you will go. What, what's the handle? You can find me on Twitter at Mister D from HR which is M-R-D from H-R. And that's my personal Twitter Uh, account. Um, You'll see comic books, movies, 
rants, I don't know, whatever I feel like posting. <laughs> Old movie references. Yep. Nice. Like, yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, I also wanted to mention that we are now on Stitcher, so you can find us through Stitcher Radio. It's pretty popular these days. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Google Play. What else are we on? iTunes, Google whole, Play. Whole, there's Instagram, I, Twitter, Facebook. All and all of that stuff is at DDM Comics. Yep. All right. So um, next time we'll be talking about the Silver Age and some more books read. And I actually have been kicking around an idea that I will run by you later. Okay. And I think that's it. So I'm Danny. And this is Batman, and I think we're done. So just to close out how we started out, just remember that when some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against the bathroom wall, and looks you crooked in the eye and asks you if you paid your dues, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail.